Today we have Dante Andrade on the show. Do you feel like you're working hard, but you're not getting ahead? Dante was in the same boat until he found real estate investing. He's now a successful investor with seven general partner deals for over 2,000 units. And he can teach you how to do the same. You don't have to keep struggling. There are steps you can take to become more coachable and resilient so that success becomes inevitable. Imagine what it would be like to wake up each day knowing that you're doing what you love and making money while you sleep. That's the life of a successful real estate investor. And Dante can show you how to get there. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Dante before we start the show. Dante lives in the DFW area. He was a musician spending his time teaching the children of wealthy families, trading his time for money. One family inspired him when they went on a three-month vacation. He wanted to learn how they could afford to do that. He then became a coach within the Brad Sumrock Multifamily Mentorship Group and saw the success of the students, and he started to invest himself. He since started his own company, which has grown to 45 employees. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Dante Andrade. Dante, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Darren. Excited to be here. I've been a, a listener for quite a while now, and uh, you do a great job interviewing. I'm really thrilled that got invited and here to talk to your audience. Thank you. Fantastic. So just a little bit on how I know Dante. Um, so I joined a multifamily mentorship group, uh, the Brad Sumrock group, about four years ago. And Dante, uh, at the time, was one of the buyer brokers um, within that group, and we'll ask him to explain what that is. Uh, but he went with me, and he, I guess he got the penalty of having to deal with the new guy because he went with me on a lot of property tours and um, really helped me get my feet wet in the, in the business. So it's exciting for me to have him on the show here today. Um, with that, Dante, you, not only do, are you a uh, broker within that group, but you've also started to invest yourself and build a company and um, so with that, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Currently in uh, seven properties, just shy of uh, 2,000 units. Uh, I've sold one before, uh, selling another one right now, uh, selling a couple more. Yeah, but currently in, in seven properties and uh, just shy of 2,000 units. That's seven properties all as a GP? 
All as a GP, correct. Here in, That's... Uh, yeah, all, all GPs. I mean, I have probably 20 plus that I'm LPs in, but I usually don't count those because you just send the money and you collect the benefits. You don't do anything. So there's nothing wrong with that though, right? Uh, it's a nice, actually, it's a like nice to, benefit. It becomes more and more enticing. The more, the more deals I get as a GP, the more enticing I become an ILP. And I'm, I'm actually really set myself a timeline that I feel like I will probably sell everything and just be an LP because, uh, uh, that's truly passive investing, right? As a GP, you're still doing a lot of work. You 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 buy yourself a job. It, it comes with a lot of perks and has some freedom, but at the same time, it's still a lot of work. And I I love being ILP. And I usually my goal is investing with people that I trust. So I look at the underwriting initially, and I know if they have skin on the game. If I know that they're invested. Here's my money. I don't read the reports. You don't need to call me. You don't need to do anything. Let me know when we're refining or selling. Uh, that's usually how uh, how I handle all my passive investments. They've done great. Lots of them selling this year and some exits earlier this year. So sitting more cash than I wanted. And uh, but uh, yeah, probably I think probably 23 because I was you know doing taxes. So I went through the ones and probably 23 deals as a passive. Uh, and yeah, and it's it's been great. That's, that's incredible. So, um, you know, listeners, uh, we've got a mix of people that are passive investors, people that are interested in getting to become a passive investor. Um, you know, some of those people are scared to kind of jump off the cliff. Um, and then you know, syndicators, a lot of syndicators that are looking to scale. So that's kind of the, the listener base typically. Um, you know, let's, we'll spend a lot of time talking about you know, your deals. Uh, but before we get into that, um, I mentioned that when I met you, you were, you know, a broker within, within the group. And um, that may be new for a lot of listeners. So can you kind of share what that role looks like and, and what that entails? Sure. So it's very unique, you know, uh, residential commercial real estate, you always have a seller broker and you know, a seller realtor and a buyer realtor right in commercial multifamily it's not very common usually you have a realtor the broker that's you know representing the seller and on the buy side people are just representing themselves so uh, brad samrock within his program decided since we're taking in a lot of people there are beginners they are new to the industry and to the market that we wanted to offer a higher level of service of you know catering to all the needs of the clients. And we put together the brokerage program, uh, which is here in Dallas-Fort Worth. It's run by me and my my partner on the on the uh, brokerage, uh, Tom Lafferty. Um, and really our job was, and this is at the beginning also, the first few years of Sumrock, not as the massive you know name that has become today, uh, <laughs> but our job was really convincing the listing brokers and the sellers that they should award the deal to us and not to whoever we're competing against, right? And initially there was a, you know, the, our industry has changed a lot over the past, you know, eight to 10 years, but initially there was a lot of just old school guys, old school money that they do deals with two or three friends got together. Whenever syndicator showed up, a lot of sellers are like, oh, no, I don't want to do syndicators. What is this? Is this a Ponzi scheme? What is that? So really, uh, Brad has done a, a great job changing that in the industry. And i um, happy now that was part of it, uh, really convincing the brokers. And our job was to go network, talk to the brokers, build trust, build the relationships. And uh, I 
I joke with one of the brokers, uh, which I'm, I'm pretty close friends with today, that when I used to call him back in 2014, he wouldn't even pick up my phone. Right. So like, <laughs> what, what is this random person that has nothing to do with multifamily calling me? And until one day, someone in some rock was doing something wrong. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to call that guy that always calls me. So he called me back and I jumped to fix this problem. And then from there, we developed our relationship. And today, you know, he's a, a close friend of mine and we've done tens and tens of deals together. So it's been rewarding coming from a place where no one knew who Samrock was, no one knew who Dante was, and now getting the trust that if we're competing against, you know, another person, even if the money is equal, everything is equal, based on the relationship, the deals that they, we've done, uh, we have the upper end many times. And that's what we offer, you know, to our clients. And just to give you some numbers, over my career, over the past eight years now, being a buyer broker, I've closed over 130 transactions. Wow. So even if you look at the very successful uh, players in this space, to do 130 transactions, it's a massive number. It's massive. Takes, you know, decades to do that. So it's a lot of hours, a lot of, uh, of experience, but it's, you know, uh, over 1.5 billion in value. Of course, we started at $30,000 properties, 28,000, 32, 35,000 a door, you know, all the way to 200 something thousand a door, you know, that's, you know, something stuff that we did earlier this year and, and last year. So it's just been a journey. I learned a lot, right? I learned a lot on what to do, what not to do, and in all sides of the transaction. And, uh, uh, you know, our, we, we have a lot of repeat clients, even people that have done a lot of deals that come back to work uh, with myself and Tom just because of the, the knowledge that we've accumulated doing all the transactions. And when things go wrong, you know, we, we, we've probably been in that situation before. So that's kind of what we do is really representing the buyers, uh, kind of holding your hand through that process, helping with strategy. Uh, and that's really why I do it. I joke with some of the, the brokers that actually by the time the deal closes and I get paid uh, right. commission, it's not really exciting anymore. But getting <laughs> the deal done, getting the deal awarded, yeah. uh, I'm a very competitive person. So if I know, and especially if I know who I'm competing with, uh, right. really that's kind of so coming up with strategies when you have a really competitive market on what to do and how to make that seller and that broker comfortable uh, with my client, uh, that's that's really uh, what drives me uh, to still be be doing the brokerage, and it's a, a part of what I do that I that I really enjoy. That's awesome. Um, a number of things that you said there. Holy cow! You said so many different things. Um, look, I remember when I was a when I was completely new, and you know, one, it was nice having somebody on my side. You know, so. It was nice being part of a group. Um, when I called the brokers, I could hear it in their in the back. <laughs> I could hear it over the phone. It was silence, but I could hear it. They would ask me, you know, what do you own? I say, well, I own my personal residence. You know, my and they put me at the back of the line. I could yeah. hear them do it. But then once I say I'm part of the Sumrock Group, I could hear it change because there's an automatic credibility. And so that is what Brad and you and Tom built up. And then new people like myself that came into the, into the um, industry were able to ride that credibility, you know, were able to, which was fantastic. I, 
I think it would have taken me so much longer to break in and get it successful if I didn't have that. So thank you for that. In addition, you would go on property tours with me and, and, you know, I would say, what would you do? Like if, if, you know, what have you seen other people do? And that was helpful because look, a listing broker is going to provide consultation and you're going to ask the listing broker as well, but you know that they're trying to get the sale, right? And so having another person that you feel like is on your side, you know, gives you, you know, definitely some comfort. Now, and I agree with you on the competitive side. Like, it doesn't matter if it's this. It's like any type of sales. I've been in a number of different sales positions. When you get the deal, that's the most exciting time. Exciting. You know, and, and then you have to do all the contracts and all the BS that goes along with it. You know, by the time it closes and you get paid, like you said, some of that is worn off. But, hey, talk about some of the benefits outside of being a, you know, a broker. Like, I think to myself, like, building those relationships with the brokers, I'm like, holy cow, that is priceless. You know, so... Um, when you kind of switched over and started to buy your own deals, how did that help you? Uh, tremendously, I would say. And, and my goal from the very beginning, because I joined the Samrock Group as yourself uh, to buy multifamily, right? To learn how to become a syndicator and buy multifamily. The brokerage just happened uh, <laughs> randomly, really randomly on a conversation uh, with Brad and his wife, Jen, and I wanted to be more involved and I wanted to be full-time into this. And I felt like this is another opportunity. I love challenges. So, I mean, let me do this. And I begged Brad at the time and he was like, you don't have any experience and, uh, you know, how, how are we going to do this? But, uh, you know, he gave me a chance and I, I, I proved myself to, uh, to be valuable and learn, you know, things along the way. So, Building those relationships, so I, I've always wanted to buy, you know, to be in buy properties, and I did start buying back in 2015. But my focus was so big on the brokerage, and that's what really excited me because of the competition. And we were growing, you know, and the Samrock name was getting well known, and people were joining, and we're having qualified people, smart people like yourself joining, and it were fun to work with. And so buying deals went to the background. Right. And you know, I have a very strict policy also. If I'm looking at a deal with a client, I'm not going to be pursuing that deal personally. So I had to kind of early on carve out a deal if I was going to look at it and let the clients know like, I'm pursuing this myself. So it became tricky. I ended up not buying much 2016, <laughs> 17, and helped a lot of people buy and saw, you know, the progress in their essential. So many people that were not to create big companies and own thousands of units. And I said, right, hang on a sec, I got to find some balance uh, between those two and decided to focus more in uh, acquiring deals. So uh, that did play uh, a big role. And I feel it does up to this day because the first was changing, uh, letting the brokers know, hey, I also buy deals. I syndicate, I can actually raise equity. Uh, right. and then, uh, you know, and then managing, uh, this is up to this day, right. If I'm pursuing you. So in, in what I try to do is to stay a little ahead. If my clients were buying $15 million deals, I was looking at 20, 25 then, but everybody kept moving. And then I ended up with clients buying a hundred million dollar deals. I've never <laughs> done that before. Biggest one I've done is 80 million. So I, 80 I million. 
80 you million. You did it 80, yeah, was, 80? Oh, my god. That was goodness. the latest acquisition uh, just uh, July, two months ago. Wow, so, that's fantastic. But uh, so I couldn't at the time. You know, I, I tried to stay ahead, and then that didn't work for a while. So it's just really uh, after that, uh, honing down, uh, we were working with a, a ton of people also in the group. So over the years, I've kind of narrowed down the groups that I'm working with uh, and really spending the time with the ones that I know that they're, they're ready, you know, they're going to get the deal done. And But leveraging those relationships played a big part. I felt like I already had the trust from the brokers and I told them, hey, just like my clients, I can also praise the equity. Uh, and it did help a lot getting deals awarded up to this day. And it has leverage into relationship with sellers. As you know, our industry seems massive, but it's actually pretty small, especially if you're in right. DFW, right? Pretty yeah. soon, you know pretty much everybody who's, who's <laughs> in the business. Right. So doing so many deals with different sellers uh, within some, you know, that were, some rock were buying properties from has also helped me get to a place that I will know a lot of the sellers that I'm bidding on properties for myself and for my company. So uh, definitely those relationships has helped a lot. And I, you know, at times, you know, people have asked, oh, how long are you going to continue to do the brokerage? It's like, I don't see myself stop doing that as long as I feel like I'm providing service and value to my clients. Because one, I love it. I love the competition. It helps me stay with my pulse in the market. Uh, even if I was acquiring a lot of properties, you know, it would be what? 10 transactions. Let's say if I acquire 10 deals a year, it would be a pretty big number for a syndicator. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, this year we've done probably going to do over 30 deals you know, within Summerock, and it's a slow year. So having just that exposure keeps helps me keep with my post on the market, knowing exactly how offers are offers are going, where deals are trading, how brokers on the right, because you have each broker approaches differently, right? You have the guy that on the prices so he can create competition and the property gets beat up. Then you have the guy that overprices to win the listing. Uh, so you have all these different personalities and styles and they change and being active, submitting offers nonstop, just, you know, as we're talking over here, right now we have uh, five deals on the contract. Uh, we have one other being awarded and I probably have three or four LOIs out this week uh, for, for clients. And it's I slow, very slow time, as you know, right now in my <laughs> industry. So that, uh, That's awesome. So, and look, for listeners, what Dante's saying is true. It takes a little time to, to understand it, but the different listing brokers have different strategies. Some of you know, first of all, these deals typically don't have a selling price. They're, you know, it's it's based on the market. But they'll, you know, if you call the broker and ask for the whisper number, they'll give you a kind of number. And then some brokers always give a very high number and you can never get there. And then other brokers keep it low because they know that a lot of people will be like, oh, this one looks like it's a good deal. And, and then it'll get bid up at, above the whisper number. So, um, that's funny. The other thing that you said about the sellers. So I tell people, you know, think about the end when the seller and the broker are having that conversation. There's three buying groups, like who should I go with? Mm -hmm. And I always think about the broker having the relationship with the buyer, but you bring up another great point is that, look, if the seller already knows you, you know, and the seller's like, you know what? I I know Dante. I know he'll close. Like, let's give it to him. 
Yeah. That's one step further. I mean, that that's that's phenomenal. A hundred percent. And I've had that happen personally and also within the group, right? As someone knew, either knew me or knew the buyer and said, all right, that person has the priority just because I know, I trust, I know that person outside. And has happened to me personally, a seller actually coming to the broker and say, hey, if Dunt is competitive, uh, the deal is his. Of course, oh, you know, huge. that doesn't mean I can get the deal done for a million dollar discount. Uh, right. You know, the friendship is not that strong. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. The numbers still have to be there, but like there's Correct. only one person that gets awarded the deal. So, and how many hey. deals end up with several offers all at the same price, right? A very right. Competitive all market, all like within 100 year. grand or something. You know. Exactly. So, that time really is the relationship and your reputation of what's going to matter the most. That's huge. So, now look, for a lot of listeners, you just said that you did an $80 million deal. I didn't even know that you had done that deal. That's that's phenomenal. Um, but, you know, there's some listeners that are like, oh, man, this is just so far out of my league. Like, their mindset is I could never get there. Share with the listeners, you know, what was your background before you got into this? So... My degree is actually in piano performance from the University of North Texas. Um, and I had a career being a professional musician. Um, so I played piano professionally, worked seven days a week for 10 years straight. Um, had a thriving business teaching private lessons. I uh, was very fortunate that I ended up with uh, a business and a clientele in uh, one of the wealthiest areas in, uh, in DFW. And a lot of my clients were extremely wealthy, you know, business owners with private jets and, you know, and massive homes. And I got to work with their kids and get, you know, you know, their families work with a lot of them. No uh, wonder you could raise the capital. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can talk about that, but it's funny how it's coming full circle. Uh, yeah, I never thought, you know, that my music <laughs> business would actually have emerged and actually now have a lot of, uh, a lot of my former, uh, piano clients that are now my investors and wanting to do more. So, uh, it's been, it's, awesome. it's been exciting, exciting journey. Yeah. But that was my background. I, you know, and I always had my mornings and early afternoon free red, rich dad, poor dad, when I was 21 years old. And so real estate was always in the back of my mind. And more I got to know these families. And it really what uh, inspired me, uh, I remember there was one family that would, you know, beginning of uh, the summer, right at the end of the school year, they would say, all right, Dante, it was great seeing you. Thank you so much. We're going to go to the Hamptons now. And uh, we'll be back in August, right? And they would leave. Uh, with all the kids, go to the Hamptons, you know, maybe take a trip to Europe in between and come back in August. And they would still pay me for all the piano lessons throughout those months because, you know, I had a very uh, busy schedule. If they didn't pay, I would have to replace them. But I'm thinking, wow, they get to leave for three months, two and a half months, and business continues. And at the time, I was making good money, but if I was not teaching, if I was not at someone's house, if I was not at the Batch Elder family home <laughs> at seven o'clock on Tuesday night, you know, to teach. I, I wish I knew how to play the piano, but I don't. I don't. 
So I would not making I was not making money, right? So going on vacation, it was not even about the cost of the vacation. I always look how much money am I gonna lose. So that was always sure. a drive. So at that time, you know, I was self-employed. I didn't have a boss. I didn't. I enjoy what I did, but I kind of hit a limit. There was only so many hours on the day, on the week, and I had uh, wedding, corporate gigs on the weekends. I worked at a church at one time. I worked at three different churches on the weekend. Uh, you know, uh, playing. So uh, there was only so many hours uh, on the week. And then, so made money, saved, you know, always lived by the, uh, my parents' model, which is the Dave Ren's model of save everything, live below your means, you know, don't don't take on that. And drove a 19, I would drive, a, uh, I was still driving, I think I was still teaching, uh, uh, started teaching, I still have a 1994 Honda Civic, there was, you know, with hell damage, and I would be showing up at a ten million dollar <laughs> home uh, to go teach these wealth kids. But you know, uh, it's it's what it took. But I was saving my money because I knew I wanted to invest, and started really just looking at condos and houses. I thought I was going to flip a few houses to make, you know, a few more money on my 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 mornings that were usually free. Uh, and that's when I I did a few of those, probably two or three flips with a contractor that knew how to do the work but didn't have any money and i had money so we bought it you know twenty thousand dollars so just to give perspective my first real estate purchase i think was seventeen thousand dollars cash right and then uh you know spend another five thousand uh on remodeling and split the profits with the uh with the contractor so did that a few times but i saw it was and it kept learning reading books, going to, to meetings, uh, learn about Brad, some rock star, follow him. He was still with his uh, previous company. It was before he started his program and I would go to the meetings and listen to him. And, uh, and really Brad helped change my mindset that I joined the program thinking, all right, I, you know, have a little bit of money saved. I'm going to come in and buy a 12 plex, maybe a 20 plex with a couple of other people. That was my mindset. And Brad at the time said, no, uh, you're not going to do that. We're actually going to get you at a much larger deal. So I went from thinking of doing that. My first deal was 75 units that I that I purchased. Uh, much different numbers than the 80 million we just talked about. That was a 2.3 million dollar acquisition price, uh, and I raised a million dollars from people that were in the group. I didn't tell any of my piano clients. Didn't tell any of my really friends because I thought, you know. I didn't want to mix things. What if it doesn't work out? And I don't, you know, those uh, different worlds mixing. Uh, but really, I was really afraid of raising the capital. But uh, that was the easier part of uh, getting the deal done. The million dollars came really quickly. Uh, people understood the opportunity. Uh, yeah, that was the first one. Very challenging deal. I was pretty much every day at the property. <laughs> At the beginning, lots of challenges. Uh, at one time, through it took nine months to close that deal. Just can wow. see, understand how challenging it was. But I saw the opportunity. I saw what I was buying, and it really comes down to seeing the opportunity. I saw a property that was across from my elementary school, catty corner from a hospital at a major Cooper Street in Arlington. You know, some major street with six lanes of traffic nonstop at the school zone. So everybody had to slow down in front of the property. <laughs> and here's this dilapidated building neglected being run by an operator that, you know, kind of didn't care because, you know, he was 
uh, all in cash and collecting. And I just saw the opportunity. This is a lot of value sitting here, and I, you know, stuck with it. And it was totally worth so it. So you said you saw the value, the opportunity, and the value, but like, I think the mindset shift happened first, right? I mean, that's that's so big. And for listeners, I mean, you until you can, you know, believe that you can achieve something, you're not gonna do it. And and to have somebody, you know, change your mindset from going after, you know, a 12 plex, which a 12 plex or a 20 plex, like for a lot of people, is still like, holy cow, that's huge, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're getting involved in a 75 unit deal, and then now you just did an 80 million dollar deal. But it doesn't happen unless you change your mindset. So talk about how you how you went from, you know, where you were, you know, fantastic client base, but trading your time for money to having a mindset that you could actually, you know, buy these large, you know, multifamily properties. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I agree with you. It's all in the mindset. And even I was already in the Samrock program as a student coming to the events, and my mindset wasn't still there. Now, <laughs> see, because you know, I grew up from a uh, middle class right. family. My parents were wealthy. My dad was an accountant for um, uh, the public oil company in Brazil. That's where I'm from originally. And you know, we lived below our means. You know, we had a decent life, but not didn't have any wealth. We didn't, you know, drive uh, luxury cars or anything like that. So now looking at millions, and I didn't have, you know, 2.3 million or even close to that when I went to look at that property. But you're but seeing all these other people be successful. A hundred percent. So every time we had a bus tour or we had an event that I would go and I see that person just bought a 90 unit. Wow. <laughs> and then you hear this story, right? So you'd get this jolt of energy that you can do it. You know, and it gets to the point, if you've seen a few, it's like, man, I talked to that person a few times. I'm way smarter than him. And he just bought a property. So it's like, I think I can do that myself. So really that got me there uh, at that time, which is not that long ago, but there weren't as many podcasts to listen to like we have today, <laughs> like the great service you know, that you've been providing to a lot of people. They are curious and they're learning and wanting to, to get into the industry. But So I'll go to these meetings. Uh, I'll be at the Sunrock meetings. Sometimes I'll be at, at, at different ones if I could, just to be around people. And all I wanted to hear, it was like the success stories. That helped change my mindset. Really seeing others that I could relate to, right? If you tell me, oh, the multi-million millionaire person just bought, you know, $30 million. I cannot relate can't to that, rel right? can't relate to that, right. I was a musician running a, a business, self-employed, you know, that had some savings. So give me someone that has more of a normal life like myself uh, and really got to see a lot of that within Sumrock and, and and being around and chasing. Anytime there was a real estate event, I would be around and, 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 and listening and helped me change the mindset. So then I was comfortable looking, you know, at 75 units at 2.3 million and thinking, oh, I can actually get this done, you know, and turn around and make a ton of money for my investors. That That's huge. I mean, I remember the first bus tour that I went to that was just students. And I came home and I told my wife, that was the craziest thing I've ever gone to. And she's like, that was like a business thing. Like, why? I was so crazy about it. I'm like, it's like 250 people. Everybody had paid to be part of this organization. And everybody in the room either wanted to invest in multifamily or wanted to be a syndicator in multifamily. They, 
it wasn't anybody else in the room. So, I, I mean, I walked home with like 100 business cards. I, I couldn't believe it. It was, yep. it was just crazy, mind-blowing. So surrounding yourself with other people, um, you know, when you get in a room where people are like, you know, you go to one of Brad's events and he's calling people up, stand up, tell, tell everybody what you just did. Well, and you hear 250 units, 125 units, 300 units. You're like, holy cow. And I had the same thought as you. These people are smart. But if they could do it, I could do it, right? I mean, that's, and I, I want listeners to understand that, you know, that it's possible for you. It's not out of this world. It's not out of your realm. But it's also not easy, right? I mean, you can't just stroke a check, join a club, and a deal shows up at your doorstep, right? Correct, 100%. And I think... And I've seen, because I've been, you know, on the inside track of some rockets and all the people that joined, and I've had so many people coming. And you know, at the beginning, before you got your first deal, how many tours yeah. did we go to? How yeah, many offers? absolutely. How many no's did you get? <laughs> right. Actually be you gotta, you have to have course. thick skin yes. because you're going yes. to hear no's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and we have a lot of people, you know, and what happens, a lot of multifamily, I think a real estate in general, we have people that are really successful in their industry. Uh, they've done a lot, right? It could be physician, business owners, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes they have an exit, so they have capital, they have money, they've done it, and then they will come into multifamily and they feel like, oh, this is a no-brainer, and I just need to write a check. Uh, the deals are going to show up, and, and, and it doesn't work this way, right? It's a very relationship-driven business. You have to put in the time uh, to be able to, to know who the players are, who know who the decision-makers are. Having money, everybody has money. I mean, we, we ended up surrounded by a bunch of people with money. Money is the easiest, you know, thing to find uh, when you are in a circle of people that are doing uh, real estate. So that's a misconception that I see happening a lot. And to your point, a lot of people think, oh, I have money. I'm going to join the program and it's just going to happen. Now, if you don't put in the work, it's not going to happen. And I've seen myself, a lot of people come in, dream big, join in, but then, Sometimes life gets in the way, or sometimes it's just too much work. And I feel, I, really, it just it makes me sad when I see someone, you know, go once, twice, three times, and they're so close, right? They're so close to getting their first deal, and they're like, all right, just throw the towel, you know, the holidays come, and they get distracted, and then they never showed up again. Uh, so it's uh, uh, it does take work, and, and Gary from, and I know you've talked about this before, on some of your other interviews, from zero to one, it's the really hardest part. From one to two, three, it becomes a lot easier, right? You you face different challenges at times, but zero to one is just, it's a mountain, it's Mount Everest. Once you can get over it, every other mountain will be a lot easier to, to get through. Absolutely. Um, so you've been doing this for a while. Like, can you tell, you know, do you have a good pulse? And this, this guy or this girl is going to be successful. Like when they join, uh, I, I'm sure you get some of that wrong, right? Some people you think, you know, you may judge them and say they're not going to be successful and they are and vice versa. But can you pull out kind of the characteristics of the people that are successful and what's the difference between them and the ones that kind of fade away? I think the number one thing that I would say that has made people that I've seen of, of a, a, a trend, people that are successful, they are coachable. They are coachable, they're open to feedback, they're open to criticism. Uh, that's number one. 
it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much money you have. If you come in and you create, we all create, we look at the world differently and we create uh, perspectives and, you know, images of how things should work in our heads, right? Sometimes our background, you know, is influencing that. If you're not open to get coaching, and it could be from a podcast, it could be from a mentor that you've hired, it could be from your buyer broker, it could be from a colleague or someone that's ahead of you in the industry. But being able to be uh, coached and open-minded to say, all right, yeah, you know, there is a different way of looking at this. You know, not not only the one way that I learned, and even, you know, it's not because you're hard-headed, it's just because you learn this one way, well, there are different ways of looking at things. Uh, getting coaching by your by your lenders, right? I mean, the lenders also, they have seen a ton of deals. They're involved. They're a great source to be learning from at the same time. So I would say that's number one. Uh, and people, they're resilient. They're not willing to give up. Uh, I would say, you know, getting a no and, and you know, finding a deal, underwriting, putting in all the time, getting to the offer, then you submit the offer, here's best and final, and you put in another 10 hours doing best and final. So I tell people, at the beginning, it's going to take you about 40 hours to uh, for you to get a deal from looking at it, touring it, all the way to being competitive in best and final. Now, 40 hours seems like, oh, just a work week. No, well, you know, you probably sometimes have a, <laughs> right. another job, you have a family, you have kids, or school, or other obligations, you have your life, right? And you have to find 40 hours on top of that to do that. Now, imagine that you've got to 40 hours, and now you get a call from the broker the next day, and the broker says, wow, I'm so sorry, Darren. You're, you made it so close. I mean, you're just number two on that. I've gotten that call hours. before. <laughs> We all have. Now, yeah. You invested 40 hours. You don't have anything to show. And you're right. number two. So it's sometimes the business is frustrating because you put, and now do that five, seven times, right? And then you still, as long as you don't get a property, you don't have anything to show. So people that are able to go through that process and be resilient and say, you know what? I'm just closer to getting to the next one. And it's something that I, say to uh, uh to my clients and the, the people that i walk through within some rocks like those 40 hours are actually not wasted because you learned a lot not only learned a lot you learned a lot about the submarket about that area if another property shows up in the neighborhood and you've underwritten two or three that you lost right you didn't get the deal awarded but another one shows up you already know the ins and outs, the city, the problems, the the how much the water bill should be. You know all you have that all the knowledge. You're gonna be able to make such a faster, quicker decision that that all the work you put in may actually help you get that deal. And I've seen that happening many times. Uh, many examples of clients we've worked with. So it, the time is now. It seems that you wasted the time and it's frustrating. But people that are able to think a little bit longer term and not you know, know that the reward is going to come right away. Uh, and, 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 and I'll say, and I'll say this because I see this in front of me, uh, <laughs> but Brad sometimes will not give you all those details from the stage, right? Yeah. That's going to take several 40 hours of underwriting, putting all this work before you get your first two awarded. Many times he's calling to stage someone that got the first two awarded within three weeks of joining the program. So, uh, that has happened in the past, but, yes. uh, I would say it's not the rule, uh, and it, and it, it it does take a lot of work. It does get a lot easier after you get to the first one. So I would say uh, key things here, resilient, 
and coachable, someone that's open-minded, that open to criticisms, that can adapt and learn from others. Uh, that's that's huge. Like I've I've never had somebody answer that with with coachable, which I think is very very telling because um, there's a lot of people in the industry that have experience, whether it's lenders and brokers and buyer brokers and other owners and sellers and buyers that are all can provide guidance. And look, you know you know you don't have to take it all right, all the all the advice, but you know, at least be open-minded. And when you hear something that, you know, makes sense to you, you know, run with it and, and engage with it. So, and I could also attest to what you said about, you know, learning. Sometimes you lose a deal. I remember I went on one deal with you, Property Tour. It was the first deal I put an offer in on. I didn't get it. And then I underwrote a lot of deals before the next one. Then I'm on another property tour with you in a different area, but I had underwritten so many deals that I knew the expenses were just way out of whack. And, you know, we could cut expenses dramatically. And I'm like, Dante, how can we just lock this up right now? And, you know, and you had some advice and we went down that path and we didn't end up getting the deal, but we came very close. And, um, you know, so it was one, it was great to have a partner like yourself helping me. Um, but two, I wouldn't have had the confidence. And that deal was twice the purchase price of the first deal. Like, but I had so much more confidence because I had underwritten so many deals. I was comfortable with it. So true. That's uh, so talk about learning. I mean, do you, do you still learn or do you get bored with all these? underwriting how do you how do you keep learning how do you keep kind of pushing yourself always always learning um and really taking the time to learn from others um you know i just spent a day yesterday in chicago at uh with a coaching group that i'm part of uh uh, learning right learning different things learning now i have new challenges i feel like you know deal underwriting and analysis and being able to get properties done. Now, you know, I have a team within my company that's helping me with that. But now I have new challenges, right? Now I have uh, growing a business and, you know, scaling that business. And so learning from others all the time. And the industry keeps on changing, right? So the industry, we are September 23rd here, we're recording this. Uh, If you look at uh, six months ago, exactly, March 23rd, that was a different industry than we have on oh, today. It absolutely. has changed, right? So you're transitioning where you, I mean you have you had the buyer broker and now you you have seven properties, 2000 units. So you also have your own company. What's the name of your company? How many employees have you grown it to? You know, um, you know, where's your focus today? Yeah. So my company is Turo Company uh, and I have How do you spell uh, a T O U R O Toro is the uh, Portuguese word for bull. Um, you know, in our scene was like the uh, similar to the Wall Street bull with uh, a house on it. So Toro Company, torocompany.com is uh, a website that was actually under development right now and will be ready here in a few weeks. Um, and we, I think we're at about 45 uh, full-time employees. And on, you know, on top of that, some... Uh, VAs and some contractors that work for us, you know, uh, on a full-time basis also uh, decided uh, a few years ago from learning, as we were talking about, you know, here learning, being around people that are way ahead of me in the industry, 
So I was a syndicator, kind of a one-man show. I used third-party property management companies uh, to run my properties and um, got to a point that I hired an analyst. So I had, it was me and one other person trying to acquire more deals at the same time, you know, helping uh, with the brokers within Sumrock. But then, you know, as we, as I saw the market changes and the prices changes, my mindset and from learning from, from others and people that are ahead on the industry, uh, I came to the conclusion that, you know, a lot of this, this, this last decade from 2010 to 2020, the market, it was amazing, especially if you're in DFW, Florida, Atlanta, Phoenix, the market took care of any mistakes that you made. Even if you're not a good operator, it was really hard not to make money because the market took care of it. Uh, my own view, we're not going to have the same run from 2020 to 2030. That was my view back, you know, when I was making this decision back in 2019. Um, and I felt like operations was going to be key to performance of these deals. The market is still going to be strong, especially if you're buying in good markets like the one that we're in. Uh, it's still going to help you, but you're going to have to pedal a little more than before. This. Sometimes <laughs> you just had to, to coast, you know? Right. Uh, it's been on the the paddle boat and just sitting there and letting you know the current take you. I think that current's gonna be you know a lot slower, and we're facing this right now. So I was thinking about this 2019, uh, 2020, and making the decision to bring management in house because I wanted to have full control of my operation and how my deals were gonna perform. Uh, the bigger deals I was buying, bigger responsibility, more money from the investors on me, and I feel I just felt like something that I wanted to do. And really learning from people that were ahead of me in the industry, I got to go on a ski trip with some amazing folks, a guy that owns 65,000 units, Holy another God. one that owns 35,000 units, uh, and then some, uh, someone, somebody else that owned 20,000, 5,000, and then there was me. I was like, how did I get invited on this trip? Uh, but there was so much learning. Uh, from that trip. And I came back with a lot of lessons. Holy cow. So like we talked about mindset going from a, you know, 12 unit to 75 unit. Now you did an email. Now you're hanging out with folks that have 20, 30,000 units. That probably just pushes your mindset, you know, in a completely different place. A hundred percent. I mean, just like, and, and seeing what's possible. And, so I mean, so what, do, what do they say? Share, share with me, somebody that owns 60,000 units, 30,000 units, what was like the one or two top things that they said on that ski trip? The, the beautiful thing, Darren, is hanging out with these people. Of course, they all flew in on their own plane or, or charter planes you know, to this location. But I couldn't tell who was who from the mix uh, until I got to know them. Uh, you know, we did not know each other when we got there, but thinking about, they're just normal people. That was really, really amazed me. It's just, these guys were just so down to earth. Uh, so amazing. And in, in one of them, I, you know, kind of develop a friendship and have been able to come back and, you know, have dinners with him and his wife and, you know, get to learn more from him. And I have his company as one of the models, one of the companies that I, I want to be like when I, when I grow up, but really, <laughs> Uh, they put infrastructures from the beginning in place. They all worked really hard. You know, there was no easy and they were explaining to me and, you know, they got nose and they got beat up and, you know, and just uh, uh, 
heard you know so many stories no one had it easy no one inherited everybody you know had to work really hard to get what they were and then it was about team you know and putting a team and putting the right people around them so it was funny at times asking these guys questions about operations and property management and they did not know a whole lot because that was not their focus right they were now the ceo of this massive company and somebody else was running property management completely and that's what really it came to me that in that in as much harder to do when you were smaller right but i really my mindset started changing that i needed a team around me i needed more people uh to do it by myself and to grow it would be a really slow process to do that by myself so sure there are risks involved with that yes you know you have to front a lot of money without seeing the results uh, to have team and to have people around you. But that was a big lesson. And, you know, one of the reasons that drove me to bring management house, all of them had their own management and all of them had done it at an earlier stage that they brought management in-house. So um, that was... Oh, that's, uh, that's great to share. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, in the beginning, the... They've all learned how to take action too, and yourself too. I mean, look, you you could read books, you could listen to podcasts, but if you didn't buy something, you know, you wouldn't have pushed it to the next level and to the next level. And you know, I think that's the diff a difference. Like you said, these people are normal people; they're down to earth. I I when you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, just picture Dante 10, 15 years from now, instead of owning two thousand units, he owns. 20,000, 30,000, <laughs> you're, you're going to say, look, this guy is a down to earth guy. He's a good guy. He's just a normal guy. Like, but he took action. He learned from others. He surrounded himself, put himself in the rooms with people that were ahead of him. And he learned from that. And then, you know, he took action, you know, so that, that says a lot. I mean, it's not good enough just to, learn that they put infrastructure in place and that they added a team. But you went and said, okay, they added a team. They brought in house management. I'm going to do that. And now you're in the process of doing that. Correct. Yeah. And it's funny you say this because I, I, I was talking to uh, my life coach a couple of weeks ago and she said, and I hadn't spoken with her in nine months. And she's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. I have the notes here from the last time that you're going to do this, this and that. And, all that is done. It's just like, <laughs> let's let's pause here for a second and let's just take the scene. Like, yeah, you took action. She was like, you are someone that you set a goal and you decide and you go after, no matter how hard it is, and you took action. She's like, let's stop and celebrate before you talk about these problems now that you're looking into the future. She's like, let's look, spend a little bit of time uh, in one of, uh, uh, there is a, a great book called The Gap in the Game by uh, Dan Sullivan. Oh, somebody uh, just recommended that, and I I bought it, and it, it's it's here. I haven't no read way. it yet. Is it? Is it? Yeah, I read his other book, uh, Who Not How. Who Not How? Um, yes, yes. But this so this one's a good one. It's a great all book. Right. It's a very easy read. But we all entrepreneurs, we tend to live in the gap, meaning what's to come, what's to reach, right? And the way Dan explains it is that if you're standing here and you're looking at the horizon, let's say we're in a field and you're looking at the horizon, no matter how fast you run towards the horizon, you're never gonna get there. Why? 
as soon as you get closer, what happens? The horizon now has moved and has moved. And I mean, sun is going to come down and you're not going to see the horizon anymore and you're still chasing it because it's going to be moving always, right? So he talks about that being the gap. And now the game is where you are before you start running. And when you saw the horizon, you say, I'm going to go towards the horizon. You got to stop and look back and see, look at all I've gained for chasing this horizon, which is always going to be moving. And you got to stop, think about it, celebrate it. Uh, and we as entrepreneurs have a tendency to always live in the gap. And it was, I thought I was the only one that was like that. So <laughs> it was mind blowing, you know, talking to others about it and reading that book and just thinking about, okay, so I've been teaching myself to stop, look back, look where you came from, go back to 2012, go back to 2014, where your goals were and look what you've accomplished so far before, you know, going back to, to chase the horizon. So uh, going back to point. take action. I'm, I'm looking forward action. to reading that book. Uh, the other thing is, you know, when you started, you were thinking more about, you know, your family, your, but now you have 45 employees that you're responsible for. You have all these investors that you're responsible for, and you're teaching all these people that come into the Sumrock group. You're, you're telling other people about it that are in your network. And, that's another thing that I try to tell listeners is, look, today you're worried about getting that number one deal, that first deal. And that's where your focus should be. But know that two, three, four, five years down the road, when you are successful and you're on your third and fourth and fifth deal, other people are going to be coming to you and saying, how'd you do it? And you're going to be teaching other people. Yeah. And, and that is part of the joy of life. And I, I look at it, uh, Darren, sometimes as a video game. Uh, I'm not a big, big video game player, but I've played as a kid. Um, you own this race, let's say, you know, Mario Bros. And then you, you collect all these coins and now you unlock the new level. There are things that happen at that level that you can see you, it was not there for you. It was not there for you to see because you had not collected that those coins, or let's say, collected that knowledge <laughs> right. or those actions. Right. Now you're at the new level. Sometimes now you get a, a, a plane or you can see the field or you can see now it's green and it's more beautiful. And there are different things now that you can collect and gain at the level because you achieved, right? So uh, getting your first deal, getting your first house or investment, whatever it is that you're chasing, uh, until you take action and get the first one done, there are a lot of things out there that you're not going to see until you get to that first deal. When I acquired my first property, 75 units down in Arlington, there were a lot of things that I saw after that and opportunities that that saw that there was no way for me to see them until I closed that. There were a lot of things that became I became a much effective broker for my clients once I was owning the deals and, you know, asset managing them to be able to share those experiences and show to them, it's like, well, there is this opportunity here. There is, you know, those are the things that you don't see until you've taken action and actually, you know, got, got you number one. That, that's a great point too. I mean, as a, as a broker, um, it's one thing to, to have all the experiences going on, all these tours, but then to marry that with owning and being able to provide that advice, that's, that's huge. So you are seven properties as a GP, 2,000 units. I know that you had to celebrate, but now looking forward, what's the next big stretch goal? So 
the stretch goal was going to be this year to acquire five properties. So, okay. you know, I had the team in place. I had taken over uh, property management from uh, uh, last year and everything was going well. And I have a whole, you know, uh, executive team helping me uh, run the properties on the day-to-day operation. So I set a goal. This will be five properties. I want to add another thousand units this year. Uh, that's the goal at the beginning of the year. And we started out really fast, uh, getting one under contract and then a portfolio of two other properties, 524 units in Irving under contract. That's the $80 million acquisition that I, I, I talked about all at the same time. So life did not become, it was not fun during that time. Holy cow. So you had three properties, two different deals, three but properties, three properties. 700 something units uh, all wow. at the same time. Now at this, as this was happening, the Fed came out and will raise in interest rates and the debt markets are changing and our industry is having some massive changes when I'm in the middle of doing these acquisitions. Trust me, those were uh, the most challenging months uh, of my career, I would say. I just went through them right now. Uh, one of those deals did not close, unfortunately. Uh, the lender, you know, um, the operations uh, at the property were not performing. Uh, they had, you know, the, the seller, unfortunately, lost all of the staff. Pretty much everybody quit right when we started due diligence. And, you know, there had a lot of people uh, about to be evicted. And the lender got really spooked with markets changing. And you know, here's this property that I don't think can afford the mortgage. So they retraded us. Uh, I went back to the sellers and I still believed on the deal and tried to uh, adjust the price. And they were not willing to talk. Uh, have a conversation. So unfortunately, that didn't close. Uh, I went on to focus on the other two acquisitions, um, which you know we successfully closed in July 13th. Not you know without a lot of stress, a lot, a lot of uh, sleepless <laughs> well, nights. Thank congratulations. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. And I I paused at that time and I said, okay, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next break. time. <laughs> Until yes, the next well, time. You'll forget and, it at some point and then you'll be like, forget. oh, right, right. <laughs> so, and so, so I don't know if we're going to get to the five deals that I line up and I kind of already reset the expectations with my team. I never want to be at a position that I have to buy deals. Every single deal that I've done, uh, nine deals that I, I've, I've bought in, in sale myself, uh, all of them have been successful home runs for my investors. So I'm not willing uh, to have, you know, if I have, uh, the choice and the control to have a mark on my on my portfolio, my career. So I don't be forced to buy anything. So that's also challenging to manage the growth with staff and the company. Uh, but at the same time, I want the market to give me the opportunities to bring me the deals and not be, I have to buy. You know, so many times you have people with funds, larger funds that they raised $100 million, Now they have to go ahead and buy all these things and, and overpay. Right. So not something that I'm willing to do. I'm at a good place. If we don't buy anything else, I'm, I'm, I'd like to buy at least one more this year. Uh, I'm starting to look, uh, but I'm not not in a hurry. If it doesn't happen, it's okay. I think it's gonna be we're gonna be at a little bit of a slow time in our industry, even though the fundamentals haven't changed. Right? People are paying rents. I'm sure you experienced that on your properties. Sure. Uh, they're fully occupied. People are paying rents, not having any issues. They were increasing rents. Uh, but on the acquisitions, the sale and buy side, the debt changed. So well, I think we're going to have a slowdown. And I'm just spending time working off my team, making us better operators, because I think we're going to need that as we go through you know, the next decade of owning deals. 
and I'm uh, planning some trips, some time off. You know, I added more days of you know a week of working out and uh, playing volleyball, uh, which I, I love doing it, and and going on trips and planning more trips. So that's kind of I'm uh, uh, balancing as like, and I we just sit back and wait. We've had a great run. I, I look at it just like 2020. You know, there was six months in 2020 that no transactions happened. Properties were still full. People were paying. I was at the lake four or five times a week. Lake Lewis Field. Oh, <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about that. I'm like, okay, what do you like to do for fun? And you're like, okay, I'm planning trips. And I've seen you on social media, like behind behind the boat, like, you know, cruising around. So so talk about that. What, what do you, uh, I love know. being in the water. And I grew up by the beach uh, in uh, Salvador, Brazil. And uh, being in Dallas, not having the beach, is the only thing that I feel it's missing. Uh, in, in Dallas. So I make up for it by going to Lake Louisville. So I love, you know, wake surfing, wakeboarding, or just being out there, watching the sunset, spending time with friends and uh, and colleagues also. I've had a lot of brokers out there uh, with us and uh, having a good time. So I did that a lot, you know. Um, do you have a boat? that I enjoy to do. I have a boat, yeah. I have a, a, a wake surf boat that I keep at uh, Lake Louisville and easy awesome. to just get in, get on the water and... Uh, it's, it's it's a fun time. So that's one of the things that I do for fun, especially during the uh, during the summer. Winter definitely skiing. So I've become a, a avid skier and truly enjoy and didn't see snow. First time I saw snow in my life, I was 20 years old. I was already living in Texas for two years. It doesn't snow here very often, as you know. And right. it was Texas snow. So uh, from growing up. You didn't go five, skiing here, though. <laughs> No, there's, not going to there's no here, ski slopes here. <laughs> took me a while to go and to learn, but I've had, you know, some uh, really good friends that have, you know, taken me under their wing and made me a better skier. And today I can ski, you know, double black diamonds with people that grew up skiing. So that's uh, something that I'm proud of and I enjoy doing. And right now looking for a house to probably be about three weeks in Breckenridge in January coming up. Nice. So I know, know it's going to be a dead time in our business so might as well, you know, go enjoy life and build, work on building relationships while having fun during that time. So well, I was just, my wife and I were just there with the RV um, and it was beautiful. It was like in the sixties compared to being in the, you know, hundreds in, in Texas. So that's, um, awesome. That, that's awesome. Hey, congratulations to you. Um, look, if people want to reach out and get to know you better, um, get to know your company, what, what's the best way for them to do that? So TuroCompany.com, T-O-U-R-O Company.com. Uh, it's going to be our website. We do have a, a option for contact there right now. Uh, my email address is just Dante, D-A-N-T-E, at TuroCompany.com. And, uh, yeah, always open to uh, talking to folks and to networking, to expanding, um, and uh, open to, you know, people that are wanting uh you know, to, to get into the industry also and to invest and, and to look at those things. So, Well, one, I thank you for sharing with everybody. Two, I thank you for pouring into me when I just got into the industry four years ago. Um, you know, it's people like you that, that really give the whole industry a, a good name. I tell other people, like, it's amazing. People want to help each other. It's, you know, it's not just Dante, like other owners, other sellers, they, people want to help each other. And um, so I appreciate that very much. Uh, listeners, look, this guy is somebody you should look up, all right? Um, if you're ever in the Dallas area, definitely look him up and uh, appreciate you listening. Until next week, sign off. 
Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.